story of some sort, your life as it's playing out is a story, and as you sit across from people and talk about life, you're telling your life story. And, and ultimately, every person's story is actually a spiritual story of their interaction with God, their interaction with other people. And this morning, I want to ask you this question, is what is your faith story? So what is your interaction with God? What has your interaction been with Jesus? And what is your interaction with other people? Because even our interaction with others is a part of our faith story. I remember as a young child, about 10, and uh, we were having an old school revival. I don't know if any of you grew up in church where they used to have those week-long things and we'd gather together and uh, late into the night and thousands and thousands of verses of just as I am, right? And so that whole thing is going. And so I remember, and I just, I vividly remember being about 10 years of age and being there with my mom and, you know, other things. And so my mom was there, and I just remember this this overwhelmingness of a weight coming down on me and not being able to fully explain it and understand it at that age and and going home and talking to my mom and, and saying, hey, mom, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it truly mean to be a follower of Jesus? And and her at that moment telling me, hey, let's let's sit down at the table and just beginning that conversation with my mom, and she explained the gospel to me. She explained the good news of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, and that that at some point I myself had to own my own faith and to decide what am I going to do about Jesus. And so this morning, that's what I'm asking you: is what have you done with this guy named Jesus, this historical being where literally history has changed, has transformed? We split our dates in life and history because of this one man. So there's no doubt that Jesus lived historically. All Everybody knows, any uh, credible historians acknowledge the fact that Jesus lived. And so what are we going to do with that truth in this person? And so we ask that question of what is your faith story? Well, the verse that my mom taught me and shared with me that evening was this one. It's Romans 6.23. It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, what she did with that is she also then began to share with me through that verse. This is clearly the good news of Jesus Christ in one verse. And so she began to break this verse down for me. And so I'm going to show you kind of what she did. I have a little graphic that will show up here on the screen. So you can kind of see what she did to help me understand in the most simple possible way the good news of Jesus Christ. And so for the wages, obviously, those of you, as you get older, you start working and you want good wages, right? And so here the author of the Gospel of Romans is Paul, and Paul is saying the thing that we've earned, our wages of our sin, the things, the mistakes that we made, is death. And this death isn't just a physical death, but it's a spiritual death. It's a separation for all eternity from God. In other words, we will be fully recognized in our souls. We will fully recognize for all eternity that we are not in the presence of God, that we are separated from him. So whether that's in the midst of a fire or whatever, I don't know all that. But I do know, scripturally it tells us, that for an eternity, you will recognize the fact that there are others that are in the presence of God and they're worshiping him and they have access to him and that for eternity you do not. And that's a description of hell. And so the payment for our imperfection, for the things that mistakes that we made, our ability to fall short from, from perfection is for an eternity upon our physical death, we will for eternity also be separated from him and fully recognize that we have no longer have an opportunity to have access to God for an eternity. So on the other side of that, this great word, but, 
the conjunction, but. As we talk about it, it's a big but syndrome, right? Like, literally, here's this, all this, and then all of a sudden they drop in and they go, but. And it stops you to begin to think, all of this is true, but, however, God offers us something. And what is it? Not a wage, but a gift. A gift is free. You receive it, and you don't have to give anything back. Theoretically, we're not exchanging gifts and trying to get better gifts. We receive a gift free, and this free gift of God is eternal life. It's the ability upon our physical death for eternity to be in the presence of God and to be in, with, have access to Him and have access to Jesus and to be in His presence and to be home with Him and to recognize that there are others that have made a choice to not be with Him. That that is a part of the heaven experience for us. So if God's free gift is eternal life, and how do we receive that free gift? What is that free gift? As you can see in the drawing down below on the left side, those are the things that separate us. And on the right side where it says God are the things that we want access to. And the access comes through trusting in the person of Jesus Christ. That what he has done upon the cross is sufficient for all of our mistakes. His, what he has done on the cross is sufficient for all of our sins. And that at that moment that we trust that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient, we say, Jesus, I believe that what you did on the cross is sufficient to cover my sins, and I want access to God the Father through you. He grants us, He grants it. That's how simple the good news of Jesus Christ is. It's not any classes. It's not even baptism. It's not all this stuff. It's truly us confessing with our mouth, Jesus, Your death on the cross is sufficient enough to cover my sins, and I believe in that, and I want access to God the Father for eternity through you. That is the thing that is so simple, but it trips so many people up. Because our natural desire is, we know that our wages, so we understand this thing of wages, and so we're constantly trying to work, because we work on a scale system naturally. And so we're trying to like, we know that we have done bad things, and so we see our scale, and we see this bad scale over here, and we're like, oh, i got to do some good things. And so we try to do good things. And here's the deal the Scripture tells us. Your good things will never outweigh your bad things because God only expects perfection. And so the only way that the scale can go up is based upon what Jesus has done on the cross, and it completes it, and it's satisfied. The weight is completely satisfied. Therefore, we're redeemed, and the weight of our sins is taken away. We find freedom through trusting in Jesus Christ. So that is the good news. So what is your faith story? Where are you at in engaging with this truth? Have you placed your trust in that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to cover over your mistakes and cover over your sins so that you can begin from that point forward to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the scripture even says at that moment, you are literally made legally right before God, that you're standing in a courtroom and you stand there and someone, the judge says, what do you plead? And we would naturally plead guilty. And Jesus literally steps in front of us and says, I'm taking the guilt. From you, And all of your guilt goes on me. And so in that moment, the judge says, you are redeemed, you are made free. And so now for the rest of our lives, for those of us that have said yes and have received that gift of freedom, for the rest of our lives, we're learning what it means to live out to be free. Because we naturally run back to the things that we're comfortable in, but we're trying to live out what it means to live in freedom. And so as we grow in that, as we develop friendships with others, as we spend time with Jesus, spend time with God, we grasp what it means to truly live free, 
So that at that moment when we die, we experience the fullness of what God has for us. Along the way in here, we're getting little glimpses. As the Scripture says, we get little deposits. We get little glimpses of the glory of God, the fullness of God's Shekinah glory. But whenever we enter into heaven at death, we get to experience the fullness of God's glory. Okay, So that's the beginning of our faith story. And so my question for you this morning is, what is your faith story? What have you said as that, to that encounter with Jesus Christ? Here's what Matthew 5.13 tells us. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That as you've engaged Jesus and you grow in this understanding, that as you go to school, as you go to work, as you do these different things, and you begin to look and act and think a little bit more like Jesus, you are bringing flavor to the world. You're bringing light to darkness. And people are watching you, and they are drawn to a different faith story by your faith story. As you live it out, they see yours, and they're like, I want what that person has. There's something uniquely different about them, and I want that. And they're drawn to that. That is our faith story as followers of Jesus. Where have you encountered God, and what is he doing in you and through you? That's the first question. What is your faith story? The second question I want to ask you this morning is this, is how has God designed you? How has God designed you? If you look in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, I'm going to read 8, 9, 10. I think your notes just has verse 10. It says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And this grace is that free gift. So God saved you by a free gift when you believed, okay? And you can't take credit for this, right? So our wages were separation, but that's what we could take credit for. But because of the free gift, we receive this thing. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it. I always think about, you know, athletes in particular, like they score a touchdown or they do something and what do they do? It's me, right? And so they want to boast. That's our natural thing. And God says, listen, you can't stand before me and go, I made it. God, aren't you glad that I'm here? And God's like, your best works are rags before me. It was a free gift. Look at verse 10. Some of you know so well. For we are God's masterpiece. Now, this first part, for we are God's masterpiece, talks about the fact that when God created us and that you were formed in your mother's womb, that you were unique, literally as, as unique as a snowflake. There is no one else that has ever been or ever will be that's exactly like you. Your gifts, your talents, your passions, all that. You are unique. Okay? So God has created you uniquely. Now look at the second part of this. This is the part where if you say yes to Jesus, then God does something unique here. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Some would say in the old school they would say born again, right? So that once you were once born as a masterpiece, but now through Christ you are born again and you have a new purpose. And that new purpose, look, God so that you can do good things, okay, that he planned long ago. In other words, in that moment, God created you in your mother's womb, and you were a masterpiece. And in that moment, as a part of your faith story, that you said yes to Jesus, he reborn you, that's good English, okay, he reborn you, and now you even have a more fuller purpose 
Because we'll find out in just a second that when you were reborn, God even put something new. Now you have, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God has taken residence with inside of you. And because the Spirit has taken inside with you, He's also given you another gift. Not only do you have salvation, but He's given you another gift that uniquely places you within this body of believers here to, to expand the kingdom. So not only are you unique as a masterpiece, but now also each one of you in through Jesus has a gift that God has given you that allows you to share the gospel, that allows you to move the kingdom of God forward. So you're designed uniquely, and then also you're reborn, and that uniqueness is even enhanced through your salvation. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, thinking on this idea of different gifts and different things. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. In other words, in that moment that you are reborn, you receive the Holy Spirit and He grants you a gift And in that gift, it's to encourage and to build up the church so that we can be fully who we are and that people are drawn to a body of people that are living out their faith, that they see something that there's extra powerful. That's why in Acts, people are drawn to the church at Acts because people are fleshing out their gifts, fleshing out their generosity. And people are like, man, I want to be a part of a family. I want to be a part of a movement like that. As a matter of fact, the early church wasn't called the church. It was called the way. Basically, like, this is a movement, and we can't explain it, we can't divine it, it is just a way. These people are living a way different than everyone else, and I want to join into the way. Continuing on. So a spiritual gift is given to each of us so they can help each other. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. So now sometimes, some will teach that you can just do something long enough, and you'll get that gift, or you'll earn that gift, or that certain gifts can be attitude for salvation, and Scripture never teaches that. Scripture teaches that each one of us, as we say yes to Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then we receive the gift through that spiritual, spiritual gifts to enhance the kingdom. It's the one and only Spirit through Jesus, right, who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So here's one of the things. Over the last couple of weeks, I've mentioned it several times, is that we actually have on our webpage a spiritual gifts assessment. So it's not pass-fail. You can't fail, all right? And it's just this little assessment. You just kind of take quickly, and you think about Some of you have taken a Myers-Briggs or um, whatever, the lion and the otter, all those different kind of things that you can take. And so take this. We have some out in the front, I think. So take it, and it'll just help you begin to discern, okay, God, how have you uniquely made me, and what might possibly my spiritual gift be. And so as I've talked with several people over the last few weeks as as they've taken it, some of them have been like, wow, I never even realized that what God's been doing and how I've been passionate about X, God has placed that in me. And now I can look back and kind of like cartoons, you can see the poof, 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 poof type thing. And and the picture becomes clearer of how God has transformed you and what he's doing in you over the last few months or even years through your rebirth and the receiving of a spiritual gift. The third question that I want to ask you is this, is who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Jesus was going about teaching, and at the end of his ministry, you know that the the religious people continued to kind of try to catch Jesus and trick him up. And so here's one of the last questions that they asked Jesus. Teacher, rabbi, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? 
And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. In other words, love God with everything you've got. From your toenails to the top, tip of your head to the end of just love him, pursue him with everything you've got. And how do you do that? How does that play out? Look at the second part. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we don't do very good at that. So if we're not really good at loving ourselves and we're not really good at loving our neighbor, Jesus would probably say to us, you're not really loving God very well. Because if you're loving yourself and you're loving your neighbor well, then that's a reflection of how you're loving God. And so our communities, American culture is yelling at us and saying to us, we're not doing a very good job. So for us to begin to think about, God, I want to love you with all I've got. God, that means I need to begin to have your eyes. So I think about that moment where Jesus was literally coming down to his crucifixion and and all that, and he looks over Jerusalem, and he weeps over them. And that that should be our mindset. So as you come down from the bluff, that you just begin to just, God, I just pray that for my neighbor that you give me opportunities. God, that you would have me be able to see people differently. I would be able to see the needs that they have so that I can get into the mess with my mess and, and not begin to make excuses. But truly, how can I love my neighbor in pursuit of loving you? Who is your neighbor? One of the, um, I don't know if you know, but I love football. And one of the favorite, my favorite coaches is Tom Landry, who's a um, great guy, great man of faith. And one of the guys that's kind of taken his mantle, so to speak, in that way is, is Tony Dungy. And uh, Tony Dungy recently wrote an article. He's constantly talking about his faith, but he recently wrote an article about five ways to share your faith, and um, in the workplace in particular. And here's some of the things that he said. Number one, he said, remember Colossians 3.23 which means whatever you do, do it as under the Lord. In other words, as followers of Jesus in the workplace, we should be the best employees. We should be the hardest working. We should be the most considerate. We should be the most compassionate. We should be the ones that are there first and last and all that. We should be the best employees. And so that's what he's saying. The second thing is this, is don't forget grace. Sometimes we just forget to be graceful to other people, that we're so about business or so about work that we forget to be graceful and, and that we should be balancing this idea of truth and grace together. The other one that he says is always be ready to demonstrate your faith. That as you begin to practice grace, as you begin to be the worker, that you, people are going to begin to ask questions. And as you, why do you waste your Sundays at church? You know, all these different things that they're going to ask you. And begin to, to demonstrate your faith and talk about what you're for more than what you're against. The other one that he talks about is he says keep respect as a staple of all of your interactions. In other words, as you're talking to people that you should respect Everybody, because all of us are created in the image of God. No one's better. No one's worse. We're all different. We're all unique. So respect to be the staple of all of our interactions. And then finally, he says, be ready to give an example. In other words, people are always watching. If you proclaim to be a Jesus follower, people are going to begin to watch you and examine you. And they're going to look for reasons to do away with your faith to say that I'm not going to follow that Jesus. So the example for us is, hey, how can I be a follower of Jesus in another way that people say, hey, can I go to the church that you go to? Hey, can I go to the life group? Hey, can I be a part of what you're a part of? These are different ways to just practically think about how can I share my faith. And then last, I want to ask you this, is live your life 
on mission, get a passport. That's one of our core values here is get a passport. And that means, literally, I wanted you to get this idea of that, hey, we, we, we need to be going around the world. We need to be sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth. But that also, with that mindset of get a passport, it literally means my mission field could be at school. My mission field could be my neighbor. My mission field could be whatever. And so just this mindset of we need to be living life on mission. It's not on accident. We're consistently ready and prepared to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Even at the end of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 28, he, he comes back after his resurrection, and here's what he says to his disciples. He came to them and he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, the reason that he was given all authority on heaven and earth is because he had died and he had resurrected. And God said to him, son, you have the authority to proclaim the gospel. And so he's telling his disciples that I have the authority and I'm now giving this over to you. And what's he say to them? Under his authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So basically he's saying to us is that you are an ambassador of mine. And so what we do as a nation is we proclaim, we give people the title of basically President of the United States. You're an extension of the President, and you go to other nations, and you're an, our ambassador. And as an ambassador of the United States, you're propagating what we're about, good or bad, right? You're there on our behalf. That's why we have the embassies and all that different stuff. And so when we go, Jesus says, under my authority, under my flagship, under my kingship, I'm sending you out as an ambassador, and you speak, and you live, and you do on my behalf. Therefore, go and make disciples of Jesus, right? And baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what? Then teach them all the things that I've taught you to obey. And we just talked about the things that he taught them to obey. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's simple. So that we're ambassadors of Christ and that we have a passport, we've been given authority to go everywhere in the world, everywhere that our feet set, we are an ambassador for him, and we stand on him, and we raise the flag of allegiance to Jesus and say, my life, my command, everything that I do, everything I say is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you need an I'm standing here proclaiming in this place that I stand, this is a place that's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Therefore, wherever I go, I'm teaching the commands of Jesus. I'm teaching people to know Jesus. And then look at the very last words that Jesus says to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. Immediately after he says this, he ascends to heaven. Here's what he says. But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes on you. So that when you're an ambassador, it's not in your own strength. It's in God-infused Holy Spirit power. So you have courage to do these things. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. So a witness is someone who shares to something they've seen, to something they've experienced. And so Together as an ambassador, we're sharing what we've experienced. And what are we doing? We're telling people everywhere. In Jerusalem, which is our, here that would be LaGrange, okay? Throughout Judea, so Fayette County, to the ends of the earth. Puerto Rico, Burma, South Africa, wherever. So for us, our call is, part of our faith story is, is that we need to get a passport and to begin to live life on mission as an ambassador for Christ. It's not really a choice. It's actually a command. It's an expectation that once you say yes to Jesus and you experience God's grace, you experience that free gift, and you kind of get and you're amazed by that grace because by your wages you've earned something completely different, but God came in and said, I'm taking your place. Once you get that, 
then empowered but through the spirit of the holy power you're like man i cannot wait to tell people about this jesus i cannot wait to tell people about this story i want people to know about the jesus that i know i want people to receive the same gift here's the thing is we we struggle with it because we're afraid what is somebody going to think of it we're afraid of our family members we're afraid of whatever we don't want to lose our job all those different things I'm just going to challenge you. Just do it. You'll be amazed. When God puts it on your heart to just begin to talk, share a little bit of your story, you'll be amazed at how open people are. As a matter of fact, researchers are telling us that this is the most spiritual time ever, that people are more open to spiritual conversations than ever before. The problem is the last thing that people are running to ask questions about faith The last place they're running is to Christianity. And the reason is, is because we have not done well at loving our neighbor. So let's begin to love our neighbor. And to let them know what we're for, not necessarily what we're against, but what we're for. And we're for them, and we're for them knowing the Jesus that we know. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for paying for the wages. Father, we're taking on our debt so that we might be free. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that has not made that decision, that today they would do that. Father, they would just say out loud in their heart, Jesus, I need you and I believe that what you did on the cross is enough to cover over my debt. I want a relationship with you. That's it. So, Father, I pray that people would pray that, and people that our people would take that prayer with them, and they would offer that to others that are ready, that understand, that, that even at a basic level, that, that Jesus is enough. And, that, Father, that we would be a people that live on mission. The Father, that... that We live in a world where so many think that Christianity is boring and dull, when in reality, it is the most dangerous thing you can do. Father, that we've been lulled to sleep in our American culture, we've become complacent. But Father, that there are 10, 11, 12, and 13-year-old boys and girls around the world that are literally dying by the sword, that are getting blown up because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Because they understand the gospel and even in a way that maybe we don't. That we have all the intellectual stuff, we have all the books, we have all the air, air conditioning, all the niceties. And Father, that those things have weighted us down and we don't fully grasp the power of the gospel. To transform lives. And not to make us wealthier, not to make our lives easier, but Father, truly to transform our hearts in a way that so much of this other stuff doesn't even matter. But that it's you, that the only thing that matters is you. And how we can love our neighbor. And how we can be your witnesses. And how we can be your ambassadors. And how we can live life on mission. Father, I pray that you would stir within us a spirit of holy discontent. That you would strip away our complacency. And Father, that you would give us a spirit of holy discontent. 
And then, Father, that we would get passports, even if we never travel around the world, that we have a passport that we put in our back pocket as a reminder to the fact that we are ambassadors of you to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even if it's across the street, even if it's in my own kitchen with my neighbor, we live life on mission. Father, may you be honored by the way that we live. Life on mission. It's in your son's name that we pray.